Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Why Suffering? by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you this morning. You are good, you are glorious, and we set our hope and trust in you this morning. I pray that as we open your word, Holy Spirit, we know you're here, and I pray that you would take this word and plant it inside of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This morning, we're going to look at why suffering. This is probably the question, uh, both inside of the church and outside of the church. Uh, A lot of people I speak to would say, if your God is such a good God, then why does all this bad stuff happen? Great question, right? Uh, uh, But this morning, the answer to that question may not be what you expect it to be. So plug in. I I, I remember... um, when I was in the Apostolic Church, because all the holy people come out of the Apostolic Church, brother, uh, from Aladala even, uh, from, uh, even from Aladala. Uh, <laughs> I remember we had a, uh, a gentleman there by the name of Viv Gaddy, and he was uh, South African, but we won't hold that against him, Bess. Uh, <laughs> he was South African, lovely guy, um, but I can remember, I got on really well with Viv, um, and uh, he, I can remember Viv was a little bit down at one point, and uh, I, I remember speaking to him, and he said, you know, uh, I've had a lot of heartache in my life and he, I can just remember him telling me, you know, I sat down and I wrote out all that's happened in my life and as I, as I kind of pray to God and he was explaining some of the stuff. I mean, uh, he knew a lot of heartache when he was young. They had a son who had an acquired brain injury and was disabled and needed intensive care, still uh, alive today, young Stephen, but it didn't stop there for Viv. Viv loved God, and uh, his wife, uh, was Helen, was uh, diagnosed with cancer, and two weeks after the diagnosis, she passed away. And Viv found himself on his own with a very troubled daughter and a uh, disabled son. And I, I lost contact with Viv, and I remember I was working at the hospital, and uh, I'm cleaning away in the accident and emergency department, and uh, in and out, in and out, and all of a sudden this voice comes, uh, so you're not going to speak to me then. And uh, I'm used to that in the hospital, by the way, the old ducks sort of kind of... But I remember turning around and I had that... <laughs> I, 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 I didn't look anywhere. But I remember turning around and having to have a second look because Viv was a shadow of his former self. And uh, Viv had what they call calcification of the lungs which is a slow, slow way to pass on into glory. But my heart was so encouraged because here's a man that had been through a lot, loved God, and yet here he is laying, uh, that was the last time I saw Viv alive, and here he is laying in the last moments of his life, but still praising God and still excited for getting the gospel out and just really, really encouraged me. The reality is when I look over Viv's life and most of us sitting in this room We'll have a testimony that sounds like, you know what, I've had some trouble in my life. If you've lived for any more than five minutes, maybe you've experienced this. I remember one of the vocations, one, because I've had many vocations, one of the vocations I had in Tasmania was working at the casino. And uh, uh, by the way, if anybody here is interested in gambling, I want you to know that every form of gambling you will find is actually designed mathematically for you to lose. <laughs> uh, I, I know a guy that won $120,000 one night on the poker machines and in three months had given every dollar back. Every single bit of it, he'd lost it all. 
So they're designed for you to lose. But uh, we had blackjack tables. And I don't know a whole lot about blackjack, but uh, uh, maybe this morning life feels a little bit like blackjack for you. Ever notice that? Ever notice that the cards come out and you've got no control over them? And we think we have control and we're trying to develop systems and we think that if we just do a certain amount of things we can control, we'll, we'll produce some more formulas. Well, I want to introduce you to a couple of guys that thought the same thing, but life can be like sitting at the blackjack table. You think you've got control over the dealer, you think you can tell what card's coming out next, but that's actually, the card that's coming out next is not what's important, how you react. And whether you are ready for what the dealer's got coming out next is what is important. Chuck Swindoll says that faith is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react. As we uh, begin to unpack why suffering, I want to take, we're going to finish and anchor what I've got to say this morning in the Gospel of John in chapter 9, but I want to take a brief look. We're going to We're going to parasail through the book of Job. We could be there for a very long time. But I want to begin with probably what has become one of my most favourite books in the Old Testament, and that is the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Many preachers, many theologians have said, you know what, the book of Ecclesiastes is a very pessimistic, cynical view of life, and nobody should really pay a whole lot of attention. I actually disagree. Uh, I think the book of Ecclesiastes lifts the lid on life and addresses the elephants that we already know are there. Let's have, a bit of a, let's have a bit of a drift through the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is written by a man by the name of Solomon. Uh, if Solomon was alive today, he would exceed the wealth of Bill Gates easily. Uh, he had amassed enormous wealth. Uh, he had enormous means and he is on in search of meaning. The book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Job, we're going to get there in a moment, and the book of Proverbs are what we call wisdom literature. Uh, and it's written, uh, Ecclesiastes in some places is written as poetry and so is Job. But the book of Ecclesiastes starts out with vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And that word in the Hebrew is hevel. And what the preacher or what Solomon is trying to tell us is all of life is like a vapor or a smoke. It gives the appearance of having shape. It gives the appearance of substance and form. But when you try to grab hold of it, there's nothing there. And life, he says, can be much like that. We try to find all of our satisfaction in this world and in this life. But when we, at the end of the day, we find ourselves just as empty as when we began. He says life is like hevel. It can be empty. But he says, you know what? I've got all the means and all the resources. I'm paraphrasing today. He says, I've got all the means and all the resources. So uh, I, I, I had all the women that you could possibly want. He says, I had all the money you could possibly want. I built elaborate gardens. I had huge parties. I mean, this guy, uh, today, this guy is throwing parties that you wouldn't believe. No doof doof music, but big parties, lots of wine. And he made some observations along the way. Like when you get to chapter 5, he says, you know what? I have found that it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're never satisfied. Or he says, you know what? When it comes to the things of life, uh, paraphrasing what he says in chapter 5, satisfaction is sold separately. We live in a world today that is trying to find meaning and, and, and completeness and wholeness in the things of this life. And the observations of the preacher end with, you can't find them without God. In chapter 9, he exposes what I like to call 
the Bradbury principle. Anybody here know Stephen Bradbury? Right? Yeah. I mean, listen. Uh, everybody's like, yeah, the Aussie won the ice skating. He won by luck and chance. Uh, I remember I remember watching a documentary where he said, you don't know how hard I trained and you don't know how many years I put in. Yeah, but you were a long way back before everybody else fell over. He was a sparrow trying to fly with eagles. Lucky for him that day, all the eagles fell out of the sky. But what Ecclesiastes highlighted is what Stephen Bradbury highlighted for all of us. You know, sometimes the race doesn't always go to the swift. You know, sometimes the battle doesn't always go to the strong. Wisdom doesn't always rest with the learned. That's something I've learnt. Doesn't matter how long you spend at school, doesn't mean you're any wiser than others. Ecclesiastes exposes that we actually all sit at the blackjack table and we have no control over what's coming down the deck, but we are able to respond differently. And this is the question I believe that many of us ask. Why is it that bad things happen to good people? Why is it that rotten people, anybody here knows some rotten people, how is it that rotten people fall butt backwards into good fortune? Well, I wonder if sometimes, one, we're asking the wrong question. And two, because the question on our lips is, why does God allow suffering in the first place? Are we asking the right question? And do we have the basis to ask the right question? Let me introduce you to a funky dude by the name of Job. Now, Job uh, is, uh, the whole account of the book of Job is set in the land of Uz. Uh, Not Oz, Uz. And there's no evidence that Job was actually even an Israelite. There's no clear, in the whole narrative of, of Job, we aren't given any clear historical setting. And I actually think that's reasonably deliberate. Uh, many people pitch the book to be the first chronological book of the Bible. There is strong evidence for that, but it's not conclusive evidence. But here we are introduced to a man by the name of Job. And everybody knows uh, about Job. Job is a blameless man. Job is a righteous man. Job honours God. In fact, it goes on to say that Job was the greatest of all the East. In in those days, they measured your success and they measured your wealth in livestock. You'll be interested to know, Pastor Liz, that it didn't include cats. (laughs) There might be a good reason for that. That's why it's called wisdom literature, Robin. (coughs) Cats are excluded. Okay, but he was listed as the greatest of all people In the East. And we're introduced to a narrative, interesting narrative, where we see that Satan or the accuser, it's interesting to know that his name represents his nature. The accuser comes on into the heavenly realms. By the way, this picture that we're given of him coming freely in and out of the heavenly realms, that stopped after the cross, just as an FYI. The book of Revelations is going to expose that when we get there. After the cross, no more, just come and go as you please. However, uh, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? In verses 8 through to 12, and Satan answers, basically Satan says to God, you know what? It's no wonder Job honours you. It's no wonder that he serves you. It's no wonder because you bless him. Look how blessed he is. And here's some encouragement this morning. The accuser says, how am I going to get to him anyway? Because you've built a hedge of protection around him. There's some encouragement this morning. Here's some more encouragement. 
The only one that lowers that hedge is God. The only one that steps outside that hedge is you. The enemy gets you if the hedge is lowered. The enemy gets access if you step outside of that hedge. That's just a digression, by the way. And also what we see in the first chapter is something very confronting, is that Satan turns around to God and says, you know what, take all that he has and he will surely curse you. And God sets the parameters. Listen to the narrative if you're reading in the first chapter of Job. Go home and read it for yourself. In the narrative you will read, and God says, you may touch all that he has, but you may not touch and after that happens, God, uh, Satan answers us again and, and God says, what about my servant Job? He hasn't sinned yet. He hasn't said the wrong thing. But wait a minute, Job's not the holy and righteous guy you think he might be, just for a moment. But <clears throat> uh, what about my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, but if you touch a man in his flesh, surely he will curse God. And God sets the parameters again. And he says, you may touch him in his flesh, but you cannot take his life. As the narrative goes on, we are wanting the book of Job to answer the question, why does God allow suffering? And the book never answers that question. Nowhere in Job are we given the answer to why God allows suffering. However, as we work our way through the roller coaster of emotions that happens between chapters 3 and 38, uh, the real questions that the book of Job asks are questions like, is God just? And people still ask that question today. Is God just? And if God is just, does God run the universe according to that justice? And how is Job's suffering to be explained? That's some good questions. Job's, uh, we're introduced to Job's three friends. There's a fourth guy that kind of sits aloof for a while and then wants the last word, but God gets the last word, by the way. But all of his friends uh, ultimately come up with their solutions. They believe that, uh, from deep, deep assumptions, they believe that human action ultimately controls God's justice. We believe that by what we do, we can control God. That's the malinformation that we have. They are the deep, wrong assumptions that we have. It sounds a little bit like this. If, if I'm really wise and really good, then God's just going to let the blessing cards roll off the deck all the time. It's just going to be blessing, 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 blessing. But if I'm, if I'm unwise and if I'm evil, then all the bad cards will come down. What we're saying is I'm the one in control here. I control my destiny. I'm the one who stacks the deck. You can't stack the deck. I want you to know this morning, you can't stack the deck. When Job loses everything, and then when Job is afflicted, his wife comes to him and says, curse God and die. Here's some of the most profound words you'll read in Scripture. Job says to his wife, are we to expect good only from God and not evil? And he bows down and worships. That's how we should respond. By the time we finish today, we're going to ask the right question when it comes to suffering and expose what the right question is. But we will be left with, no matter what comes off the deck, 
Lord God, I have determined I'm going to worship you. No matter what the doctor says, I'm going to worship you. No matter what the bank manager says, I'm going to worship you. No matter what Pastor Liz says on Tuesdays, Lord, I'm, I'm going to worship you. That's called faith. But before we give up on our little mate Job, how does the book of Job end? Uh, between chapters 3 and 38, it's a roller coaster of emotions for Job. He, he begins having a retort. Basically, what his friends say is this uh, You deserve everything that's coming to you, Job. You've obviously sinned. Why don't you just confess your sin, get it over and done with, repent from your sin? Because uh, we're going to uh, unpack that assumption in a moment. But Job defends himself and says, This can't be divine punishment. I haven't done anything wrong. Job in chapter 13 will will come from the heights of though he slay me, yet will I praise him to the depths of, oh, I rue the day that I was born. But then we get to chapter 38 and there's an enormous shift in Job and there's an enormous shift in the narrative. God begins chapter 38 when he questions Job. It says that he spoke to Job out of the whirlwind and he says, where were you? Where were you when I created the earth? God goes on and asks Job 69 questions, of which for all of our scientific advances today, we're still only able to answer 19 of those questions. Questions like, where do I hide the darkness? We've only just unpacked the fact that all when you look into space, uh, astrophysicists are just now realising that all that black space is not empty space, it's called dark matter. It's It's like fabric that's being slowly stretched. Stretch it too fast, everything falls apart. Stretch it too slow, it caves in on itself. Where do I hide the darkness? In fact, God will go on and ask Job, can you control the Leviathan and the behemoth? And some people say it's dinosaurs. Other people say it's the hippopotamus. It doesn't really matter. What God is trying to point out is, you know what? My world is full of unstable and unsafe. You can't, no one's going up to pat a lion. That's the kind of cat we need to keep away from, Pastor Liz. I remember a friend of mine who went on safari in, uh, in Africa, and he was told when he got in the safari car, listen, nobody stand up, nobody get out of the car. And, of course, they pull up to a pride of lions, everybody's eating, everybody's happy. This guy can't get a good look, so he stands up to take a photo, and the male lion's eating, and then he does this. And, and the guy, <laughs> top gear and we're out of here. Well, because the car's no threat. But the minute there was a man there, there's a threat. No, none of us are going and patting a cat. There's a reason for that. You can't bind and loose a lion in the name of Jesus unless you're Daniel. But then we come to the conclusion. And what Job realises is the problem Job had was in Perspective. Job says, I've uttered things that I did not understand. What happens in those two chapters is God gives Job a huge perspective change. Here's one of the most profound verses I found in the book of Job. Chapter 42, verse 5 says, Up until now I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear. What does Job say? Now my eye sees you. I've got perspective. 
You see, what we've learned in Job chapter 5 is that Job, his friends say to him, your, your, your sacrifices, you put your hope and your trust in your sacrifices. He thought he had a formula. He thought he could stack the deck. He thought if I just do this and, and I give sacrifices for my kids, all will be well. I can stack the deck and God has to give me blessing and good fortune. And what he learned was God's the one in, in control. Up until now, I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. The revelation we can take away from the account of Job is that our allegations are often driven by deep assumptions and an enormous lack of evidence. But none have answered this question like Jesus. None. When it comes to why suffering, Jesus flips the question. Let's have a look at John chapter 9 for those that turn there. I love this account of the man born blind. It says that as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Often we think we're so far away from God. Often we think God's never going to pay any attention to me. Uh, What's my problems compared to... I want you to know this morning, wherever you find yourself this morning, God sees you, God knows your pain, God holds every one of our tears in a bottle. God knit you together. He knows our suffering. He knows our pain. He saw a man blind from birth. Anybody anticipating the question? Because remember the assumptions of Job's friends? Uh, Well, obviously you did something wrong. Let's keep reading. Uh, The disciples asked him a question. Rabbi, who sinned? Great question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why would the disciples ask this question? Because in the first century, all of the Jewish rabbis held to the fact that every all suffering and all affliction was the result of sin. So therefore, this man born blind, how is it that he was born blind? How do you justify his suffering? Was it because his parents sinned? Was it because he sinned? And it even went to arguments. Uh, The rabbis even held arguments that you could sin in the womb because of people being born with defects. How illogical, unreasonable and silly is that? We're trying to make sense, you see. But it's because of the assumptions we're coming from. It's because of our lack of perspective. Who sinned? Great question. But I love how Jesus answers the question. Listen to the answer from Jesus this morning. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What's Jesus saying? Uh, You're trying to answer the wrong question. You're trying to seek the answer to the question of cause. Hmm. Jesus wants to flip the question from uh, what, what causes my suffering? How do I stack the deck, God? You can't stack the deck. Jesus says, instead of asking the question of cause, ask the question of purpose. What is the purpose in all of this suffering? Uh, If you read through the New Testament, I've got some really, really bad news for the prosperity gospel people. I'm sorry. If if you were sold a gospel that sounds like when you come to Jesus, the deck is stacked and all the cards are good, (laughs) you're going to have to go and have a talk to the dealer. I've got some bad news for you. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you'll realise that there are challenges. The beauty of it is we have a different hope now, right? 
I've spoken to people even recently that are going through tumultuous stuff and they said, you know what, this is really bad, but I don't know how the people in the hospital room next to us go through this without Jesus. What do we learn about the three friends of Daniel in Daniel chapter 3? These guys were full of faith. They took a stand for their faith. Does that mean that the deck was stacked? They did everything right. Holy men prayed three times a day. These guys were all, these guys stacked the deck, but they're standing before Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar says, you will bow down or I'll throw you into the furnace. And what do these three guys say? Well, God can keep us from the furnace, but if he does not, let it be known to you, Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow down and we will not worship. What happens? They throw him into the furnace. What's the difference? Life is full of furnaces, but the difference is these three guys had somebody in there with them. When Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he says, I can't, how many did I throw in there? He cranked it up seven times hotter, a bit like Brisbane in about January. But then I threw three in there, but now I see four and one like the Son of God. Uh, if you read through any of the, the epistles, you will read in the book of Acts, Paul says that they received the kingdom of God through much affliction. Through many trials and tribulations, we are to receive the kingdom of God. Oh, okay. He writes to the Thessalonians and commends them how they received the gospel in such heavy affliction and persecution. I want to ask you, as we begin to unpack the book of Revelation, are you ready for that kind of persecution? God's rubbing out the grey. If you're wondering what God's doing, whatever, whatever God does next, whatever he wants, because he's God, but he's rubbing out the grey in the church. You will stand on one side or you will stand on the other. You will no longer stand in the middle. And to him be the glory. When we, when we ask the question of purpose, can we see evidence of that in scripture? The greatest evidence of it is the suffering of Jesus. How, how is it that Jesus can walk up the hill of Calvary? After they have mocked him, stripped him naked, flogged him till he's almost dead, and he's walking up the hill of Calvary, and the book of Hebrews tells me that he suffered all of that with joy. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Maybe it's not what happens to you. Maybe it's how we react. The answer of why suffering we live in a fallen world. Romans chapter 8, verse 20 tells me that all creation, put your hand up if you're a part of creation this morning, all creation is subject to futility. Same word as vanity. We're subject to futility. We live in a fallen world. You may not be able to control what's coming off the deck, but you can control how you respond. I want to challenge us to, to have a perspective shift. To, to grab hold of Jesus' perspective because what we see is, you know, never have I heard anybody say, uh, I, and I've, I've, in all of my Christian life, no one has ever said, you know, I, I, I felt this enormous season of blessing and my bank account was full and I was feeling really healthy and I was drinking kale juice and everything was okay and I've never felt any closer to God. I've never heard that. I walk over this side when I say the word kale because, you know, I can feel the judgment. 
But here's what I have heard. I have heard people say, you know what, uh, looking back on that, it was one of the darkest hours in my life, but I've never felt closer to God. There is nothing like the furnaces of life to burn off what's keeping you from a closer relationship with God. And let me tell you, the greatest blessing that God can give to any one of us right now is whatever makes us more Christ-like. Whenever you pass on into glory, let me tell you, there won't be a U-Haul truck at the funeral so that you can take it all on to heaven with you. You're going to have to leave the Mercedes and the Rolls and the Captivas, praise God. But, But when we do stand before him and we are tried by fire, the gold will remain. Everything of this world will be burnt up. And it is far more beneficial for you if God burns it up now. You read in the book of Acts, these guys were beaten and flogged for the name of Jesus and they danced out in pure joy that they were considered worthy enough to suffer for the name of Jesus. Why suffering? Because God has purpose in our pain. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and as his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's all about purpose. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man was healed of his blindness. The story of Job is that through much affliction, he was restored. The story of the man born blind was that he was fully restored and healed. God knows how to bring us through to the other side. Let us pray. Can we stand together as we pray? If you need prayer this morning before you go home, then then please, uh, the prayer team's always here to pray with you. But can we just stand in God's presence this morning? I'm not much of a gambler. Only because I don't have any good luck. I don't play blackjack because I'm not very lucky. But... If I was a betting man, I'd be betting there's people in this room this morning that are hurting. I reckon if we went around the room, everyone's got a story. And I want to, this morning, I want to drop the most enormous amount of hope that I can, that no matter what happens, it's not futile and it's not worthless. Why? Because God has enormous purpose in all of our pain. So let us stand in his presence and pray together. This morning, Father, we, we surrender afresh to you this morning. We praise your wonderful and glorious name this morning. Father, I pray for every person that's hurting. I pray that they would know you standing in the furnace with them, right next to them. Three men walked out completely unharmed by the flames. And I believe in the God that can take us through the furnace to the other side. And the flames don't touch us. Father, I pray that in all of our pain, in all of our suffering and in all of our hurt, that you would lead us towards your purpose, that you would help us to set our hope on Christ and in Christ alone as we continue to look and focus on you. Father, I pray that every one of our reaction would be, Father, I trust you. 
We trust you, Father. In your wonderful and glorious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.